this is Courtney Matsoki from Azuro Dream Travel, and this is Locali. In this episode, we are heading to one of the wealthiest regions of Italy, Emilia-Romagna. Located in north-central Italy, Emilia-Romagna is set between the Po River to the north, the Apennine Mountains to the west, and extends east to the Adriatic Sea. When I think of Emilia-Romagna, I envision the music of Giuseppe Verdi and Luciano Pavarotti, both from this region, set amongst stunning landscapes and fertile land bearing rich gastronomical and winemaking traditions. Most travelers stay on the path and visit its lively capital, Bologna, known for its beautiful piazzas, cafes, and medieval and renaissance architecture, or Parma, known for prosciutto and parmesan cheese, Modena, famous for its balsamico or balsamic vinegar, opera, and of course, nearby the Enzo Ferrari Museum, where yes, in town you can test drive Ferrari and Lamborghini sports cars, or even the town of Ravenna, near the Adriatic coast, known for its colorful Byzantine mosaics, and Basilica of St. Francis, where you will find the tomb of Italian poet and philosopher Dante Alighieri. But today, we are headed to the small village of Polinago, about 25 miles southwest of Modena, and 30 miles southwest of Bologna to visit the Cherry House Bed and Breakfast, where you will not only find peace and comfort in the Italian countryside, but also get to know the area and the locals that make this such a special place to visit. So I would like to welcome Winifred Cozane-Rosser, the owner and amazing host of Cherry House Bed and Breakfast. Ciao, benvenuto. Ciao, benvenuta a te. How are you, Cotri? I'm very well, thank no, you. I'll say so, that again. I just called, <laughs> didn't call you Courtney properly. Now that's me. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. All of these names sometimes don't translate very well, right? So <laughs> Courtney is not a good tra- name to translate into uh, other cultures. So, But let's begin by talking about you. You are originally from Indonesia and one might say have had a fantastically interesting life. So... How did your Italian life in Polinago come to be? Well, it's a very long story because it started back in 1972 (laughs) when I had my 22nd birthday in Rome on Easter Sunday and I just fell in love with Italy. And it was also my first foray into an amazing lunch that was held um, to celebrate both Easter and my birthday. I've never eaten so much in my life. And it was just (laughs) fantastic. Um, Without sort of elaborating, because we could be here for hours, it took me nearly 40 years to actually make the dream a reality of living here permanently. Um, And those 40 years included an Italian husband or Roman husband who um, is the father of my two beautiful girls. And thanks to him, I have an Italian passport. And um, it did also actually take three husbands in the process. And I'm here with number three, (laughs) who's very brave and wonderful. And um, uh, he's Australian. My second husband was English. So um, David is, uh, is Australian. And he was prepared to not only take on Me and my two daughters, we were the Brady Bunch because he has two sons and they're all the same age, all four of them. Oh, wow. And 10 years ago, we left Australia. And as my daughter reminded me, who lives in Melbourne, we didn't come back and um, (laughs) left her in Australia. (laughs) That was to make my dream of living permanently in Italy instead of visiting year in, year out. We'd found a property uh, just outside Polonago, and he was willing to take up the challenge, not speaking any Italian, not knowing anything about Italy, but to make a whole new life for ourselves. And it's been an amazing journey for the last 10 years, but it's been a long journey for me. Um, which is why I love all things Italian, and I speak Italian, and um I realized on that day all those years ago that my, my um, soul had come home sitting there in the in the Roman sunshine. I knew I was at, at home. It's funny because I feel the same way each time I come back. Um, I really connect to the culture. And so each time I, I come, I say home, I, I truly do feel at home there. I feel that, like you say, my soul has uh, found its place again, and I feel kind of at peace so you must have 
felt something lacking when you were in, in Australia. No? Um, yes, yes. It's very difficult to, to describe unless you've had it, um, the feeling, because I came to Australia as an immigrant child at the age of six and had to learn to speak English and felt like a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> and um, I left Australia um, just before my 22nd birthday to go to live in England and work and travel from there. I had had the Italian shipboard romance as well with a stunningly handsome Italian who was going back to Italy, having been to, spent two years in Australia. And um, he rang and suggested that I come to Rome to visit him for Easter. That was um, a tempestuous relationship, <laughs> and <laughs> to say the least. And my first foray into Italian because I knew no one in Rome who spoke English other than him with his English. And um, I found myself as a job with an au pair, as an au pair for a little three-year-old girl who'd only had English-speaking nannies but whose parents spoke no English. So my main companion was a three-year-old. <laughs> Which is a great way to learn another language, by the way. It's how I learned French, uh, or one of the ways I learned French anyway, is by babysitting a three-year-old in France. <laughs> Yes, it's it's a good level to start at, <laughs> and, and and very patient parents. Um, and uh, my I've still got my little dictionary that I've been using all those years. Whenever I can't find the word, and the 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 paper is that very very thin cigarette type paper in this dictionary that has so many words. It's just a pocket one. It's quite amazing, um, and it is. Really, I, I, I say to people, if you can just learn a few words, because Italians are very gracious, very accepting, and wherever I went, when I, I, I literally decided there and then I was not going back to London and um, asked my flatmates to pack up my things and send them over to me. So it was that sort of instant and I never regretted it once um, that I'd made that instant decision that I was not going back to, to London at the end of my week's stay in Rome. And um, it, it was really, um, I, I think in some way, because I was with very welcoming people, they all tried to understand me. This is my, my boyfriend's family the people I worked for and lived with, um, and, and the child, of course, I found that everywhere people would want to talk to me. Italians are innately curious. Um, they really want to talk to you and have time to talk. And when you ask about the difference of Australia and Italy, it's this, this fact that um, the word privacy really doesn't exist in Italian. Um, <laughs> they don't understand it. They don't give you a lot of personal space um, physically either. And um, you can walk into a shop and there can be nobody else there and the person will have a conversation with you and wants to know where you're from, what you do, how do you like it. I found even at that young age, I'd go into shops and they wanted to know about my family in Australia and why did I like Italy. And so with my, my um, dictionary and the little self-help book I had trying to teach myself the verbs, etc., to be able to talk was really hard and and sometimes if if we'd be out and I'd be listening so intently trying to follow the conversation but not able to contribute because I couldn't structure a sentence yet <laughs> and that, that that's the last thing the speaking is the last thing the understanding yeah. is the first and the speaking is the last that's what I as a as a language teacher myself, that's what I always tell people that the first step is really just understanding and then you start to build the language and reproduce it. Um, and now you are a fluent Italian speaker. Yes, and I felt the biggest compliment I had um, about 18 months ago, I was sitting opposite some um, people from Modena at a function 
And we were talking and they were, you know, they always want to know, why are you here? Why aren't you in Australia? Because they think Australia is paradise compared to Italy. And then as we were speaking further, um, one of them said to me, he said, you've got the Modena, um, uh, not so much the accents, the candence of how you speak and how you say. And I thought, well, if I've got that, I've picked that up without knowing. <laughs> because <laughs> That is such a nice compliment, I though. Tell you. But that was a fabulous compliment. And I think what it is... Um, uh, I do English conversation classes as well, but I always say I probably make lots of errors with my grammar, but I just speak because for me I want to connect with right. the people who are trying to connect with me. And, and I really say to my students when I do English conversations because Italians have it drummed into them at school that their Italian has to be perfect grammatically it's a very, very grammatically strong language. Whereas if we listen to someone speaking in English, I can pick their mistakes now when people are talking to me because we don't learn the grammar as thoroughly at school. And But for the Italians, that stops them from actually learning English because they are so fearful of making a grammatical error right. rather than communicating. And this communication you get from Italians is something that I don't find, especially in an Anglo-Saxon type culture, that it's forthcoming. You could know people for a long time in Australia and, and in England, I will say as well, I can't speak about America, but not really know them because there's always the facade that they're, they're behind. With the Italians, what you see is what you get, warts and all, and they're not afraid of exhibiting it, and they're curious about you at the same time, and there's always, always time to talk. Right. <laughs> Which is why nothing gets done. <laughs> There's a famous linguist named Steven Pinker who wrote a book called The Stuff of Thought, and it kind of talks about just what you were saying about the culture of language, how we say things, but we mean something else, you know, so it is really interesting. And I do agree. I think in English, we have a lot of that, whereas in Italian, um, it's very straightforward. So now you have this beautiful bed and breakfast, the Cherry House bed and breakfast. And so when you bought this property, were there renovations that needed to happen? Or um, was it kind of move in ready? The original Cherry House needed to be completely demolished and rebuilt, <laughs> and, and that is still sitting in the countryside with the most stunning views just outside Polinago with uh, amazing foundations, and we um, actually have a very long, sad story attached to that, which needs quite a few glasses of wine. But we still go there every couple of days to feed the cats out there. And um, it was called Cherry House because there was a, a cherry tree uh, right next to it. We decided, despite of all the um, travails we had with local um, builders and geometers, as, as a, a surveyor is called here, and once we extricated from our, ourselves from that, we had in the meantime rented a place here in Polonago right in the town. And we opened up there, and that was a, a place that you'll find in Italy. There's many places that are unoccupied because of the inheritance laws here. And you don't need to actually write a will um, because it follows Napoleonic law so that it is passed down within the family. And this place, the original, um, sorry, the second cherry house we, we, we started with, the, had not been uh, inhabited for about five years and we had to rewire it and fix windows and all sorts of things and plumbing to make it arrive at the standards required for a bed and breakfast. We did that in lieu of rent. We spent the equivalent of a year's rent doing that, so that was, that was great. In the meantime, we had also seen where we are now, which, again, we're in a small town, so the person we were renting the other place from is also part owner of this place, which we subsequently bought. 
And yes, that had not been inhabited probably for at least 10 to 15 years. It's from the 1980s. It's not an old stone house as our original one was, but it has an enormous cherry tree in the garden. So we were able to stay with the cherry (laughs) tree theme. It was meant to be. (laughs) That's right. And it's full of cherries at the moment and it has other baby cherry trees throughout the garden along with all the apple trees that the previous owners planted. It's got ancient apple trees and pear trees, etc. Realising this would be for a bed and breakfast, we uh, virtually gutted gutted it. It's three floors. Um, We have a Swedish friend who we got to know who had come to Polonago for an art exhibition um, about the same time we arrived the first time. And she kept on coming back and she then, um, being on her own and a similar age, we all have, all three of us in this building have the same birthday. And so we have a big birthday celebration each year. She's got the bottom floor, which we renovated for her and her needs while she was still in Sweden. And we then, uh, in all, we put in seven bedrooms with seven bathrooms, three new kitchens, and all new plumbing, electrics to meet the current standards. Redid all the floors, everything. It's a little disappointing in that I can't say it's like the old 18th century farmhouses. I stayed true to the 80s style. I was able to source the tiles from that era and um, because this area, not Polonago itself, but we are near Sassuolo and that is one of the biggest industries for Modena and Emilia and Reggio Emilia is uh, ceramic tiles. There are huge factories um, down on the plains. Yes, and I think we spoke before about um, how interesting it is. So here um, we are located in Kentucky, and we have a company here where we have a lot of Italians who move over for a big, uh, I will say it's a big tile company here. I won't say the name, (laughs) but it's a big tile company here in Kentucky where we have a lot of, all of the tiles come from that area of Italy. So that's such an interesting connection. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's it's one of the reasons why Emilia-Romagna is such a well-to-do region because it's not only tiles, it's also then the machinery that goes into making tiles, which have been exported to China, to the Middle East, all over the world. And so there's that add-on as well. And, of course, then there's the food. And then in our area, um, the Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Maseratis. Right. And then all the tractors. There's a lot of biomedical uh, there's fashion. I don't know if Luigio is in um, America at all. Max Mara, they're oh, yeah. all from around here. Yep. And then there's the food, the Parma ham and right. the Parmigiano Reggiano cheese, which is from Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena, and then a little part of Bologna and um, uh, another little part of Mad- Ma- uh, Mantova, which actually is part of Lombardia. Um, but it can only have the, the, the title of Parmigiano Reggiano if the grass that is fed to the cows is grown in that area. It's not treated with any chemicals. We don't have a bee problem in the sense of bees missing because the area is very lush with grasses and there are no sprays um, allowed, No fer- the fertilizer is basically, it's a circular thing in that what the cow eats and what comes out the other end is put back on the field, <laughs> and <laughs> it's cleaned first, <laughs> and then it's put back on the fields, and it is a whole circular thing with no additives. The cows are not allowed to have any additives uh, in their feed, Normal Parmesan cheese does have additives and is only matured for 12 months. Parmigiano-Reggiano can be matured up to five years. Each little area, like Polonago, we have our own what is called a casaficio, which is the dairy that produces the Parmigiano-Reggiano and the milk. They're all cooperatives. The milk is from the dairy farmers here just in Polonago alone. 
and their milk is brought in twice a day to our small local dairy and everything is made there. And it's a very healthy cheese as well. Most people don't realize it's a very, it's good for you. It's actually good for you. And also if you're lactose intolerant, there's no lactose left in it at whatsoever. Um, as long as it's been matured for the minimum 12 months, there's no lactose left whatsoever. So we also take people down to the dairy to see how it is produced. We take them to our neighbor who's got a, one of the most advanced mechanically dairy farms in the area so they can see the cows, they can see what actually happens. And then I usually put on a morning tea because it requires an early start and you have to be at the dairy by 7 a.m. I then put on a morning tea with all using things, the, the parmesan cheese in different products, as well as the ricotta cheese, which is to die for. It's almost like eating mascarpone. <laughs> so it's, it's People come from everywhere to get the ricotta from this particular dairy. That's something else we do with our guests if they're interested um, in, in learning about foods, you know, and it's all natural, totally 100% natural. It is milk and um, the uh, rennet that's added, that's the culture, which is from each day. They retain some of the milk and that produces the culture. So, I mean, this is years old, this culture, if you go back. And um, there's nothing else added to it, nothing. Right. And so it kind of leads to my next question. You're a big promoter of slow travel. So for our listeners, maybe you can give your definition of slow travel, what what it is, what it means to you, and how do you think travelers gain a more authentic experience by supporting local businesses like yourself with this philosophy? Well, I think um, it's almost like slow travel and slow food almost go hand in hand. They do. The, the idea is that uh, we try and steer our guests. So we either inform them when they're here and if they're happy to drive themselves, of what places to visit and what to see and do, or we actually organize tours for them, help them every step of the way. We try and avoid anywhere where there are big tour groups, and that up here in the Apennines is relatively easy to do because we also discovered when we uh, moved here, Emilia-Romagna generally is undiscovered by tourism, um, which is wonderful. It is slowly starting to um, sort of have more tour groups uh, coming to Bologna. When we first came 10 years ago, it was hard to even find a souvenir in Bologna. Um, and the tour groups have started coming there. In our area, there's still no, the, the, the main tourism would be local people coming to um, hike, walk. And what I also then say as part of the slow tour is don't make an itinerary for yourselves that is a route march. People don't realize it takes time to get to places in Italy. I think America and Australia are alike in that they are both the same size and you get in your car, you get on a highway and you go. Here you cannot do that because there are all these little towns in the way. Right. And the autostrada may circumvent those, but even then trying to get onto the autostrada to get from point A to point B, it still takes long, a long time. And, and we have had to laugh to ourselves when people have presented us amazing itineraries and they say, we want to do that in two days. And we just say, well, just rethink it a little because everything takes time. It goes back to the conversations. <laughs> it's, it's back to taking the time to see things, talk with people um, of course, 12.30, everyone stops for lunch. And the lunches are at least two, two and a half hours. And you take your time because lunch is the main meal of the day. And what I suggest to people is um, become an Italian, be flexible, and just enjoy what you're seeing and doing. It's not, if you want to tick a box and say, I've seen this, you may have seen it, but have you experienced it? Have you had a feeling about it? Have you? I try and look for quirky things, different things that are not necessarily in the tour guides or in the books. 
and say to people, look out for this, look out for that. Um, that's slow travel. Enjoy it. And in a way, uh, food and travel together, they feed the soul. And if you really want to sort of um, feel that you've actually experienced Italy, we, we say it's experiencing the real Italy. Take the time to watch the men in the bar playing Scopa, which is an Italian card game with Italian cards, which I don't know how to play, but it's fascinating to watch. Have a coffee at the bar the way Italians do, which is you stand, you talk to a couple of people and then you go and it's not boiling hot, you drink it straight away. It's not, it's not like what we call the cafe culture, which is not an Italian cafe culture of sitting there and sitting on a piping hot coffee waiting for it to get cool while you watch the world go by. Um, Italians watch the world go by in different ways in that they actually participate in the world going by. And um, this is where I've found that my knowledge of Italian or my, let's say, it's not only the language, it's my, uh, my own curiosity and lack of fear of asking questions <laughs> that really opens up doors for us of, of things that we, we don't know about. Um, right. For example, that they discovered back in 2010 uh, with renovating a small church in, in a small I wouldn't even call it a village anymore. It's more a borgo. It's a gathering of houses. And the people living there decided they wanted to restore the church floor and part of the church. And when they started to do some inquiries into the church records, it said that there was a crypt under the church, which nobody had seen. And that crypt was filled in several centuries ago. They had to uh, get the services of a... Um, archaeologist involved with this and when they actually found where the stairs were located and excavated the rubble away to get down the stairs and opened the door they were absolutely open-mouthed because they found 281 corpses underneath the church which no one had written about it was nowhere anywhere and this church is on the, the um, ruins of an old castle on top of a rock. So uh, there was no graveyard. Transpires that there was a, two holes in the floor of the church um, because they used eight rooms from the previous castle ruins that were there. And they would drop the children in one hole and the adults in another hole to bury them. And when the smell eventually got to be a bit much, they actually put a new floor on top of the existing floor and also buried the stairs to the crypt. Oh, wow. Now, so the way I found out about this, which most Italians didn't even know about, was that we'd been driving out into the mountains quite a number of times with, with guests or friends, and I kept seeing what I thought was possibly a abbey on top of the hill as we were approaching we would see it in the distance and one day we were going past and we had my sister as a guest and I said oh why don't we go up there and have a look and this is how we find things we go and have a look when we got up there um, we had to park the car and walk up a very steep um, sort of pathway up to to we could see the the building and a woman was coming down, and um, as we were walking up, she sort of called out in Italian and said, have you come to see the mummies? I thought, what mummies? And I just said, oh, yes, yes. And she said, oh, well, just wait a moment. I'll go and get the keys. And um, anyway, she came back. We waited at the top. They had a small visitor centre, which they had already sort of had for, for a number of years, to talk about a siege that had been held there on this hilltop where the castle used to be in 1393. So she gave us the whole spiel about that. And then she took us into another building next to it and she said, here are the mummies. We are opening for the first time on the weekend. I'll explain it all to you. And she, she was a former school teacher, so she had some English as well. So she did a combination of English and Italian, explaining this wonderful exhibition that had been done along with the University of Ravenna. 
um, where all the, the mummified bodies went and the other bodies, and they were able to ascertain from what they found, because the, the bodies had been naturally mummified by air coming into some tiny little holes, um, about the life, and the, these bodies were all from the 15th to the 18th century of people that died in that town. The clothing, the jewellery, everything was there. They were able to do... They asked if anyone in this Borgo was willing to give some DNA because they could get DNA from these bodies. Um, they were um, So far, they've been able to test one directly back to the current mayor of this little town. Also, they were able to tell what people died from. Uh, they found one woman with breast cancer and they've been able to identify the changes in the cancer cells Wow. from when she died of breast cancer back in 1500 and something to how it's mutated to how it is today. That's incredible. And this is sitting in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it's because I said, yeah, let's have a look. Let's have a chat. And um, we, we take people there to have a look and see about it. And the Italians don't know about it either. Um, the fellow, the husband of the school teacher runs the little bar Kamala Men Party in, in the little town. So they open it and they also restored the church, um, which has some beautiful paintings from the 17th century. And one of them, if I can just tell another little story which links with Rome, is the most beautiful painting of um, and down in the bottom corner of the painting they have the, the mountain of Mount Montemoni here where they have a little church to Madonna della Neve the Madonna of the snow and apparently in the fourth century as Christianity was just being embraced by the Romans a very wealthy merchant had a dream in August and he was told he was in Rome he was told that uh, by the angel that the came to him in the dream that when he awoke the next morning where there was snow in or, or, um, in Rome, he had to build a church. So August is the hottest month of the year in Italy. But that morning there was snow on the place, I don't know if you know Rome at all, where Santa Maria Maggiore, one of the main four cathedrals near Ter and it's near Termini Station, is located and he started the building of Santa Maria Maggiore. And the Madonna of the Snow has a little church on our Monte Cimone, which is the highest peak at 2,165 metres here in the Apennines. And there's a little church there as well for Madonna the, of, the, of the Snow that someone decided to build as well, which is nothing like the um, uh, magnificent um, Baroque Basilica in Rome. <laughs> but these are all the links that intertwine Italy yes, with all these stories and these things that happen. That is why we connect everyone to local businesses because mm. these are the stories that you come home with because, you know, you live locally, you have a bed and breakfast there in the countryside. Um, you are a local so, you know, people will come to stay with you and they gain these amazing experiences just from all of the ones that you have had by living there and you can connect them to other local businesses. And this is something that's so amazing about your establishment is you and your husband, David, collaborate with multiple local businesses to provide a local experience for your guests. And one of them that really stands out to me and that I can't get out of my head and I want to experience myself <laughs> is called the Wild Kitchen, which has like the most incredible name because of what you do when um, you go out um, into the Wild Kitchen. So I love the concept and I would love for you to kind of describe what you do when you collaborate with the Wild Kitchen. Well, Wild Kitchen came about um, with my friend Maria, who is actually from Calabria, and um, grew up on the land um, over the sea, 
and she has always eaten what the land produces, and that means all the herbs and wildflowers, and she does the most amazing combinations of dishes, and she's always looking for something different and experimenting. Where she um, she lives in Polinago, in an in a area of Polinago called Gombola, um, which is where the original seat of government was. So where they, um, she and her partner and his family live, the um, beautiful garden they have there is overlooked by a huge castle, which was from the Gombola family back in the um, uh, 12th, 13th century. And um, there's all chestnut woods there and a river flowing through. And then because, again, because of the um, grasses that are grown for the cows and all the wildflowers, it's about going out and collecting and seeing what's there that you can eat and cook with, along with ingredients that Maria sources from little, let's say, we call them, they're, they're called agricola, which is the farms, or an agriturismo, um, if it's also doing food. But it's what can we do? How can we put them together to make these interesting meals? And Maria is always experimenting. Speaks no English, but Marco speaks English. And his family own a, the balsamaria that's there, which is the... Um, so you've got balsamic vinegar. But there is the balsamico tradizionale, which is what the families have. And they actually give them as wedding gifts or pass them on because it's the barrels of vinegar that have been held within the family because someone in the family decides to start one. Now, this balsamaria has balsamic vinegar that goes back to when it started in 1950. And it is like an explosion in your mouth when you have a tasting of that. So she also uses that as an ingredient in many of her dishes. Incredible. And then she's also doing things like having massages in the woods. Oh, wow. While you sort of rest and hear the river running. And what we're going to try in the next week or two is to see if we can actually get a, now that we're allowed to mix because of COVID, we... we uh, all in the white area at the moment. We hope it stays that way, and hopefully as from next week we won't have to wear masks. But to see if we can set up some bar tables with some bar stools in this shallow river so that wow. you actually sit and have an aperecena in the sort of evening, early evening, sitting in the river on your bar stool with your... <gasps> Uh, that is so incredible <laughs> and doing this as and well this connection with the culture with the food with nature oh it just sounds so incredible and so you also partner with other local businesses and offer guests small group tour options like market tours food and wine tours cooking classes and then you do different walks um, to kind of see the nature in the area so you visit fiumalbo and then lago santo which is a beautiful lake nearby and there are so many things that you can do in this area as i mentioned whether it's hiking i guess skiing in the winter visiting the local markets and, and we've got the cycling with the e-bikes now and we have a guide who will take you so we can go and rent the e-bikes, meet up with, with Rafael and he then takes you off for, you know, you say, can you do an hour, two hours, How, how's your fitness level? And he takes you in the area on the e-bikes as well. And then we've got David, Davide Pagliai with his Le Via dei Monti which are the most beautiful walks up in the mountains here. Oh, incredible. And um, you, usually you either end up, it's either lunchtime, he tries to stop so you're near somewhere where you could have a local meal at lunchtime as well. In the winter there's, there's the skiing, but there's also snowshoe walking, which a lot of people do in the winter. I think that's one of the things coming from Australia that I really love here is that we have four definite seasons in one year. 
And then um, what I haven't mentioned because of COVID, and I hope, you know, one day we will all have herd immunity and it will come back, is what they call the Sagra. They still have the little village festivals. They did have up until early last year. We had our, we went to our last one that was just a beautiful. I might actually send, put that video up for you as well about how they walked through the town doing the folk dancing and having a stop and having a drink and something to eat. There's like Polonago. Usually in August, we have 10 days of music and dancing and festival every second night and eating out in the square as you see in the films but you don't see in the big cities anymore. And all the little towns take turns around the place having these little sagre, as they're called, and eating the local food and um, just enjoying yourself listening to the music. And there's a lot of, you have to learn your um, polkas and mazurkas (laughs) 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 to dance along with the people. (laughs) That's funny. Of note, I would like to say, the, go back to the e-bikes. So e-bikes are electric bikes, and it's yeah. kind of a craze, well, all over the world. But I would say, especially in Italy, I kind of first noticed it in Europe and in Italy in specific because we spend so much time there, of course. But it's an incredible way to, for example, bike through the countryside or through an area, but depending on your fitness level, you know, maybe more comfortable, and they are a lot of fun. Like, I cannot be trusted on an e-bike um, because uh, there are certain ones, for example, along the Amalfi Coast um, that you can buy and that uh, Mario would not allow me to get because I got a little bit too crazy on <laughs> going going on the road to Sorrento. Um, I'm a little bit of a speed demon, so uh, I got a little bit too crazy, went a little bit too fast, and he said, "No, you're done. We're not getting the. We're not getting you." <laughs> <laughs> but they they can go quite fast uh, depending on the bike. Um, but it's just so much fun. It's a smooth ride and it's an incredible way to see the countryside, uh, like again, um, dependent on your fitness level. Well, that's why they're so great in the mountains because we have right. so many hills. And exactly. That's you turn your e bike on. <laughs> exactly. You can choose when you put it on and that's when you want right. to pedal. You see. <laughs> and they have them, um, I don't know if they have them in Sorrento as well, but here we have e-mountain bikes. So you oh, can wow. actually go off the road uh, because we have what we call sentiere, which are all the walking tracks. So when you do the walks with Davide, they're along the sentiere. So you're, you're going through woods and different places mm. on a mountain bike, which is an e-bike. So again, so everybody has a fitness ability to be able to do that. Exactly. And you, you know, um, the, you were mentioning the electric mountain bikes. Now, of course, now you can buy the electric converters to put pretty much on any bike. Um, you might want to have someone um, who knows what they're doing install that, but uh, <laughs> but um, it is a great option, like you were saying, and, it, and they are a lot of fun, a little well, bit too that, much fun. That's, that's where we do, you know, the, the business we partner with, he has normal bikes for hire mm-hmm. as well as e-bikes so right. if you've got a converter you could rent one of the normal bikes from him and right put your converter on that exactly so, so you just take that in your luggage last year we had a couple of germans they were doing a three-week tour around emilia romagna staying several nights in different places and e-biking sort of each day uh, in in each of the places so they stayed with us for a couple of nights, going in different directions each time and coming back, you know, and they were having a wonderful time, absolutely wonderful time. Right, and they're great for all ages. I, th- I think they're great for all ages. We get the motorbikes as well. In this area, what's really cool too is that there are some um, castles you can visit, castle ruins, which I find so interesting, and some of them date back to the 12th century. And then, of course, you have a ton to do for foodies. What is the best time or is there a best time to visit the Cherry House? Look, um, any time is a good time in that we can do things. Uh, just a couple of examples. Okay, in the summer, of course, you can really be outdoors a lot easier than in the cooler months. October, November are fantastic because that's chestnut season. 
So we've got chestnut festivals and we go up into the mountains where, the, where there's a little town that, that has wine and you eat everything that's made with chestnuts, etc. Then there's the time of August, September as well, which is the time for mushrooms. And people go mushrooming and, and all the restaurants have the, the amazing different all the different mushrooms that are just available as well. But then you've got in the winter, you've got the skiing, etc. Um, but what we found with one of our very first guests in the beginning, we had two ladies come in November and um, we had worked out with them a whole itinerary they wanted to go because we we were also, we take people to Venice for the day or Verona for the day or the Cinque Terre for the day because we're quite well situated for those places to do a day trip. We picked them up from uh, Malpensa in, in Milan and we just took them up to uh, Lake Como to have a drive around so they could stay awake coming from Australia. They arrived early in the morning. We needed to keep them awake until evening so that they could get over the jet lag. And it started snowing. So anyway, by the time we got back here, I was getting really concerned because I thought, oh, my goodness, they'd forecast three or four days of snow. It turned out to be a godsend because these ladies were a jet lagged but had left work the day before so they were incredibly tired so they sat there in their track suits and watched Downton Abbey ad nauseum and every other film we've got because David has all these films and things that people can watch and they actually recouped and then the weather altered so that I was choosing days. And this is the other thing, a slow travel and small groups. Mm. We were able to work out by the end of their 10-day stay, we had seen everything they wanted to see. We got to the Cinque Terre. We got to Venice. Now, what the beauty of those places was, no tourists. So... Venice was a joy to walk through. We ended up having the most amazing lunch where all the gondoliers were sitting because I'd sort of seen in a window, oh, if they're sitting there, it must be good food. And we had the most beautiful lobster with with the tomato sauce and uh, fettuccine as an entree, which was to die for. And um, they were just over the moon. And then these fellows were obviously telling jokes to one another and, and laughing a lot. So the atmosphere was very light-hearted and they really enjoyed it. And when we got to the Cinque Terre, because most of it were closed and a few of them were closed, but we could still go, as one said, I want to put my feet in the Mediterranean. So we went right down one of the ramps where normally the boats are. She was able to paddle there in the Mediterranean in November and do those things. So we still sort of, we change things very quickly. We look for what's open, what's not. Right. Um, same with Florence, to be able to go to the Uffizi and we didn't wait in the line. We just went straight in. You know, all those things occurred. Right. We do the same thing as well on our minibus tours, the small groups. Um, this is why we love doing small group trips, because you can, you're so flexible. You can do those sorts of things. Um, you can stop if someone needs to stop. Um, you know, you see something on the side of the road. Oh, let's pull over here. Let's have a picnic. You know, there's, it's so much more flexible um, and you do get so much more of a personalized experience. So you guys are quite close to Bologna within about a 30 minute drive. Could I say? No, no, it's more like an hour drive. Remember, this is maybe Italy. with traffic. Yeah, <laughs> true, true, true. So uh, it's the traffic and the side streets. But what we offer, we offer a pick up and drop off as well from either uh, Bologna, Modena. Um, Bologna is a rail hub and also an international um, flight uh, arrival. Or you can fly into Milan, for instance, and you get the fast train in an hour and 10 minutes down to Bologna. Um, or you can get off at Modena or at Reggio Emilia, which has a, a fast train station, which is the most amazing architectural uh, building to behold. It's only for the fast train, and it is just unbelievable. Um, so we, we can advise people on where to go, and we can pick them up. Um, we then um, can offer to take them around. Public transport is almost negligible. I have gone into Modena on the local bus, um, you actually take the bus down to Sassuolo, which the ceramic industry is, and then we take the small train into Modena from there. Um, so if people want to do it with public transport, it's not easy, and we say that. 
So we're willing to help out, tell them the bus timetables, but if you've missed that bus, that's it. Um, there's only one in the morning, one in the afternoon. People drive up as well or on their motorcycles they come here too. So that's why we also um, offer, uh, it's on our website as well, that we offer the pick up and drop off. And then we can help organise people for the day. But we, if it's just one or two people, we take them around personally. And if it's a larger group, I have a lovely, lovely driver who knows all the places. And um, because in Italy you have to be, um, if you've got a group, you the bus is actually, uh, the driver has to have a special license, as does the vehicle, which means we can actually go into the no-go zones because all the cities around Italy, especially the smaller ones too, um, have zona limitata, meaning you cannot drive right into the centre. You have to park on the sort of outside, not right outside, but you can't go right to the city centre. If we are travelling with Paolo, he can take the bus right in and meet us at a certain spot. That's and I've yeah. done that when I've had groups of two or sorry of three or four people. Um, and we use Paolo, which is just great. He has a very comfortable nine-seater. And again, I really prefer groups to be smaller than six because it gives us so much flexibility to go and do things. So that is a downside of it. Um, we do get into strife with people who look on booking.com and book on booking.com because booking.com, the distances are as the crow flies. <laughs> We're not following winding roads. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we always have to take that into consideration for sure. That that's right, because we have we have actually had many conversations with booking.com trying to get more accurate um, descriptions of where places are. We've found it ourselves that we've booked a place. Um, one in particular was when we went to a place called Casa La Quarta, which is outside Palma, absolutely stunning place, and we stayed the night and Castellarquata didn't have accommodation, so we got the one closest by, which was still a half-hour drive, even though on booking.com it said it was four kilometres away. Uh, it was more like 11 and a half. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, so we are very cognizant of that, and I... Um, sort of try and, and sort of suggest to people to get in touch with us because we're happy to give obligation-free advice any time. Hmm. And we also have, when people have joined us from tours, we have also picked them up in Verona um, and dropped them off in, in Parma, you know, after they finished with us because they were catching a train to the Cinque Terre. I mean, we are really, really flexible um, in what we do which is the beauty of a small group. Yeah. And there's also actually um, an app and a website called Rome to Rio that we always suggest mm. for travelers who are wanting to explore a little bit as well, even if we create the, an itinerary, uh, help them create an itinerary. Mm. Um, the app actually will tell you all of the different ways that you can get to a location. And, and it's really good about more exact kind of directions and times, which is important yes, yes. when you're planning your trip. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, we, so, and we use um, Train Italia a lot um, for the trains because you can also get an app from them which actually tells you the, the um, arrival platforms, if the train's on time, how, has it left the previous station. I mean, it's a godsend for us. I think it's called Viaggio Treno. It's... Um, it, where it gives live updates of the trains. Is that what, yeah, what you're talking about? Yeah, it's just straight on the train Italia. I go into train Italia yeah. and then I've got their, their red app on my phone because if we're racing to meet someone, we have to allow for things like in the summer if you're driving and you're going to go from here to Rimini, which is on the Adriatic coast and our, our sort of beach resort area, the traffic can be horrendous, especially around Bologna, and you can be mm. stuck in traffic for hours. Um, and if we're trying to get to the station, we know all the back routes, um, which really are great to see. And if you want to see castles, you take the back routes <laughs> to, to Bologna, the back roads, um, because Modena, Bologna, uh, Parma, it's full of castles. <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so I want to move on a little bit to um, the breakfast portion, <laughs> which is always a very important <laughs> thing for me. You are a bed and breakfast. Clearly your, mm-hmm. the, uh, your rooms are so cozy and adorable. And then of course you offer um, breakfast in the morning. Um, I kind of imagine some local jams, fresh, fresh fruits. And I am always looking forward to my morning cappuccino every time I'm in Italy because it is my favorite part of the day (laughs) when I wake up. um, I even look forward to it the evening before. What might a breakfast at the Cherry House look like? Okay, for a non-Italian, although I'm slowly educating my Italian guests, I, um, because Italians only eat sweet things, um, I tend to do a combination of what they call salata, e dolce. So I um, always have fresh bread from our local alimentari. He gets it fresh that morning. Then I do things like the Australian pikelets, which are like a little pancake, or I do blini and I put a bit of smoked salmon on them with a bit of taleggio cheese or stracchino cheese. I do a pretty mean zucchini tart, um, or zucchini cake, should I say, with, with ham in it as well, and tomatoes. Or I make corn fritters that have a bit of pesto and chopped little tiny tomatoes that I've just roasted in the oven on top of them as well. Or I do a big leek tart. As So, so it's not bacon and eggs. I don't do bacon and eggs and that kind of breakfast. And then I always make the crostata, which is what everybody, every Italian eats here. And we also have, um, now I'm not sure about Naples. In Rome, they call them cornetti. And up here, we call them brioche. Um, I've got them as well because I really have a great supplier that gives me frozen ones that come up beautifully. So I've always got those as well. So it's a combination. And I... Do have, if we have, um, let's say, Australian, English, American people, I do also have a range of cereals. Now, the jams I have next door to me, Marco, who makes all his own, and above me, Lola, who also makes hers, and they both grow the black currants and red currants and um, raspberries, etc., right there. So you're talking zero kilometers. And they make juices as well, like oh, Marco makes a delicious um, lemon and ginger juice. Wow. Which is absolutely really, really delicious. But we also have up here what are called mirtilli, which are like a very, very small blackberry, but tiny, and they only grow wild up here above 1,500 metres. And they make juices, but they also um, just have the fruit, and that on some fresh ricotta is to die for, uh, for breakfast um, as well. So, yes, that's the kind of thing. I also do evening meals um, when we have some of the tours because I do, I've learned how to make a number of the local dishes, like gramigna, which is a pasta to die for. It's shaped like a question mark. You don't find it easily. And because the main meat up here is pork of every description, but uh, we have a butcher that I take people to if people are interested in food here in town. It's all women, and the meats that are there are just amazing, and they make their own sausage uh, meat, which is not comparable to Australia or uh, American or British sausage. It is meat, real meat, but it's just without the casing, and you make the graminia with that and the special salt that they make, which is a rather rough salt with all sorts of herbs, dried herbs through it and spices, and you use that salt in your cooking as well. So um, I've learned from them many of the recipes. I'd go and eat somewhere and I'd say, I ate this and this, how do I make it? And they would explain to me, so I'd have a few tries. And, for instance, meatloaf, if you could imagine, I asked them to grind for me some pork, some some of the sausage they have, and some chicken uh, breast, and um, a chunk of mortadella. And that's what I use uh, from what they taught me how to make a meatloaf 
uh, using that mixture, which oh, wow. is to dye silk from, and you actually pot roast it on top of the stove. It's absolutely delicious. So your your reviews are fabulous, and I read one that said you are a local Wikipedia or encyclopedia <laughs> for the area, which I think at this point everyone could see how much you know about this region. So, and your husband is quite the wine connoisseur. So why should travelers not just pass through, but really seek out Emilia-Romagna and Polinago in particular? Well, I think if you want to have um, an interesting and very personal experience, that's what we try to do. I, su- I suppose what I say is it's your holiday and I want to give you the best holiday that you could possibly have which is how we work. We, we, we say come as a guest, leave as a friend. We have so many return visitors. We have become Facebook friends with so many of them. Um, our very first ladies are still back, you know, they're in touch with us from time to time. How's it going? You know, have you gone through COVID? I think it's the personal touch. We're not, um, David is, how could I say, I'm, I'm the driver and he's the relaxed come on, let's do this or let's have another glass of red wine or I'll show you where this is or come and have a beer with me. <laughs> I think we complement each other very well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and he is the gelato expert. He knows all the best ice cream places because oh. he cannot go somewhere without a gelato. Oh, I, he is um, a guy after my own heart. Yeah, I am obsessed with Italian gelato. um, And every time that we are, especially with my kids, every evening must consist of gelato and all of the different flavors. So um, that's amazing. Uh, So this is it. Yeah. (laughs) That, that's that's life. That's, that's the, the cream on the cake, you know. <laughs> so my last kind of question for you, um, Dante Alighieri, who mm. is considered the father of the Italian language, is buried in the Basilica of St. Francis in Ravenna. I alluded to that in the intro, mm. uh, which is in the region of Emilia-Romagna. He once said, quote, beauty awakens the soul to act. And I always say that authentic travel creates a vulnerability. It creates an inner challenge for each of us, and it changes us from the inside out. It has inspired me to act, to share my story, my passion of this way of traveling with others. So what is it about Italy or Polinago that made you and David decide to stay and act and share your passion for the area? A lot of people would have left with what happened to us with trying to build our dream uh, bed and breakfast, and we lost a lot of money. But the warmth of the people, um, the area itself, which the scenery is, uh, I, I get, I become very boring because I keep on saying, isn't that beautiful? Look at that, isn't it beautiful? It is so green, so lush. The air is clean. The pace is what we wanted. And the sense of contentment is something that you can't buy. We're both extremely contented, um, even in these very, very difficult times. It has never occurred to us to even consider going back to Australia, even though children feel that we have abandoned them. Um, (laughs) We keep telling them, you know, they're always welcome here, but they want the bright lights, (laughs) but they they still come. Um, But it is... It is a combination of amazing food, clean air, that, that you wake up in the morning. I mean, the, the, the bird noises is what wakes you up in the morning here. Um, it's so quiet. Um, the people are just, you know, everyone walks past you and says, Salva, salve or buongiorno or, you know, come va. You know, they, they, they nod at you. Um, we are the only in full-time English speakers that live here. And we've been accepted as part of this community because I think they realise that we love it and that really comes out. And, and we absolutely love trying to pass on to anybody who comes here what there is about this. But 
if you're looking for bright lights and um, let's say uh, very refined upmarket uh, accommodation or restaurants um, from here into the mountains I, I would suggest you go to Modena which is incredibly elegant beautiful city or Bologna or Milan because it's not up here <laughs> up here you can just be you can be yourself and you you mentioned about the vulnerability um, it's about being vulnerable yet knowing nothing bad is going to happen to you that you're safe I think that's what I try and get through to people as well because um, I mean we've taken people to hospital and and had to to help with emergencies etc but I think again because we live here because most people know us we're Li Australiani um, uh, they know of us or they know us uh, you're, you're safe. You're in a safe, comfortable environment. But it's um, a very caring place, we've found. Even though people say mountain people can be closed, they've been amazing. We, we just find it just amazing. And, and as I say, you're, you're not cheek by jowl with other tourists. And you're in a pristine environment. It, it's just so, so beautiful here. So you've, you've got the best of all worlds, really, um, and the food and the ice creams, you don't have to go too far. <laughs> <laughs> the ice creams, the cappuccino in the morning, the fresh jams. So it sounds yeah. like that you have found peace. And I think this is what, you know, all of us are searching for. We're all searching for our authentic selves, our authentic lives, to live our authentic lives. And I think once that you find that, you are at peace. And so, Wynn, I want to say thank you so much today for being with me. So thank you to Winifred Kozane Rosser of the Cherry House Bed and Breakfast. It has been such a pleasure getting to know you throughout this process. <laughs> so for more information on the Cherry House Bed and Breakfast, photos from the interview and an incredible video of the scenery around Polinago, like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Azuro Dream Travel or visit us at AzuroDreamTravel.com. So, Wanderlusters, Azuro Dream Travel can plan your sustainable dream trip to Italy by connecting you to small local businesses like the Cherry House Bed and Breakfast in Polinaco. Let us help you create your own Italian love story. 